0: Go and pray. Jesus, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to come together, together as your people in your space to seek your will. And I pray that today, Jesus, you will do things in our hearts and in our minds that awaken us to your goals for the world, that you will give us a draw and a drive and a hunger and a thirst. For the stuff that you care about, the stuff that brought you into this world, the stuff that leaves us in this world to represent you. And so Jesus, we look to you, we long for you, we love you, we need you, and we want to do our best to represent you. So show us what that looks like and show us how to do that well in your good and perfect name. Amen. All right, kids, so uh, we have an app, and in the app there are notes, and you can follow along in our notes today, but we are getting right to business. This is an up-tempo offense today. We are getting right to the topic of crazy stuff that Christians should do, and today's topic is, yes, on the screen, we should share Jesus, and when applicable, use your inside voice. Yes, that is what it's all about, and here's the thing about this. When we think about Christianity, and what it is that Jesus came into the world to do, we have to acknowledge that this was a missional endeavor on his part. In other words, it wasn't just he wanted to start another competitive religion. Uh, no, it has this idea that he comes into the world to change the world, he comes into the world to reach people, to reconnect them to God, to rekindle them to his Father in such a way that that replicates and multiplies and more people are reconnected to God and from that they go from life that isn't really alive to life that is fully alive. Now in that here's the thing I think is really important. It means for us, this message of Jesus, we call it the gospel, we call it the good news, literally this message of victory that overcomes a mundane life with true life, a dead life with genuinely alive life, that whole idea of the gospel is something that we aren't simply meant to hold, but we're meant to share. And when we think about sharing this idea of the gospel, what we want to do is make sure we get the right emphasis, the right energy, the right ethos behind that sharing. Because it's very easy to share in right ways, and then there's ways that we can share not simply in wrong ways, but even destructive ways, broken ways, empty ways, ways that are shallow in comparison to the way that Jesus intended for us. Because I think in our current climate as a society, where it's confused, where it's divided, where it's frustrated, I think it's more important than ever that we as followers of Jesus try to work this through. We try to figure out how we can best reach others with the grace of God By showing our world around us exactly who Jesus is, exactly what Jesus says, exactly how Jesus wants us to do that, communicate that, embody that, and live that. To show the world around us this is, in fact, who Jesus is that we follow and why it matters so much to us. Now, to do this this morning, I think it's important that we start off with something that we're just honest about. Because I don't want to come here in this whole series and say, here's crazy stuff that we should do, and then not actually own maybe some of the stuff that we have to to fix, that we have to course correct on. And so I think it starts with the first thing. We need to fundamentally understand the challenge. And the challenge is not simply looking at the world and saying, oh, there's where the world's broken, there's the challenge. No, the challenge actually starts at home because as I was thinking about this, I have been a pastor for nearly 30 years between my internship and then actually doing it in a more vocational context. And over the course of that time, certain things have changed. And what's true is that this whole idea of how to share Jesus, it's sort of a tough nut to crack dad humor all right actually that's granddad humor i'm a grandpa now so that's grandpa humor but it is and what i think is important here is that we want to acknowledge that this isn't about has has christianity in our culture had an active witness i do believe it has For my entire time of being a Christian and being a pastor, I've seen the active witness of Christianity. But I'm going to be honest with you, I've also seen that active witness oftentimes be an unhealthy witness. Where people have come in contact with Christianity And it's not been like they went Oh there's what I need Oh there's life giving truth Oh there's the stuff that will fulfill Oh there's the stuff that completes life as I understand it There's been many people that have come in contact with it And said that's, That's the key That's the secret That's the message That's the meaning of life I don't know In fact, tragically I think It's the difference between Jesus versus Christianity. And you'll notice in the slide that the Christ part is smaller on purpose. I think sometimes what can happen within the context of all religions is they become systems, and then the systems get defended more than the founder of the system. And for Christianity, too often, people in our world, they segregate those two categories— They go, there's Jesus, and then there's this religious thing called Christianity. There's this cultural phenomenon. There's this social construct called Christianity, but it doesn't always feel the same as as Jesus to people. In fact, here are some quotes that I have collected recently. One person said, I like Jesus, but I don't think I like Christianity. Another person said, Jesus intrigues me, but if I'm honest, Christianity... It concerns me. Jesus seems selfless, but Christians seem entitled. Christianity complains a lot about its surroundings and its conditions. Did Jesus complain about those things? Here was one I thought was interesting. Christians seem more preoccupied with people's crotches than their hearts. I know that sounds a little offensive, but... They said, it just seems like you're more concerned with that. And one person said, I left Christianity because Jesus isn't there. It's a lot easier to find him outside of the church. Now, I'm not saying that about Redemption Church necessarily. These people, I don't think they were saying it necessarily about Redemption Church. This is broader than that. And I don't think those kinds of statements tell the whole story. And I want to be clear. I don't think those types of statements are always accurate or rooted in clarity or whatever else. But when I hear things like that, and there's so many more, and you've probably heard them too, there should be something that causes us to stop for just a minute and say, is there something we've missed? And is there someone we're meant to represent that we could do a better job of? Because if there's anybody we want to represent, well, Jesus is the one that we want to make sure we get that right more than we get anything else right. That's the thing we want to get right. And when I do look around and when I do have conversations and want to have my ear to the rail, I do see that our shared Christian faith has a bit of a PR challenge. And in that, it's not like what people are saying is, I just see too much Jesus and it bugs me. They're saying, I, "I I see something that I would think would be Jesus, but it's not Jesus." I hear more partisanship. I hear religion. I hear rules. I hear frustration. I hear warnings. I I hear like cultural referees that are blowing their whistles at the moral offenses of society. But at the same time, they have the same challenges and the same moral offenses in the church. But they forget those types of things. Like that's the challenge. That I think people are facing and that we are facing. In fact, if you keep up with Christian things as far as news or information or data or whatever else, you, you might hear of different categories. There's some people that they're calling the nuns now. So it used to be, and I don't mean like Catholic, I mean like none of the above, right? So years ago when they would do polling data in the United States, they'd say, how many people are Christians? And the numbers were really high. But over the years, those numbers have been shifting. And more and more people are ascribing to the category of, I'm none of the above. And most of those people come from Christianity. They've gone from Christianity to now, I'm I'm none of the above. Because they have baggage, they've had bad experiences, whatever else. And so that's sort of what's in there. You also have this new group, what they're calling the ex-evangelicals. Where they were actually in our non denominational churches, we were trying to do the right thing and connect with culture and be relevant and be current and all those types of things. But they said, no, it's still laden with too much kind of social agenda baggage, and so I'm, I'm pushing off. But then there is a new group called the Duns. And the Duns are the ones that say, I, I love Jesus. Emphatically, I believe his message. I'm committed to his vision for the kingdom, but I'm just done with church. I can't do it anymore. When I'm in that context, it doesn't seem to emphasize Jesus as much as the system or as much as the rules Or as much as just kind of a cultural machine to conform society to a more Christian heritage. And they're like, I can't do it, so so I'm pulling out, I'm done. See, I, I bring all of this up because I do believe it's imperative for all of us to think through those things. To look in the mirror a little bit and say, man, maybe we've got some things right, but maybe we've missed some things too. And then from that, if we're trying to figure out how can we share Jesus, once we acknowledge maybe some of the challenges or the problems, then we can get into, oh, then here are the solutions to do this more effectively in the current time. And I want to be clear, at different times in human history, there's been different areas where there has to be emphasis to share him well. And those things change. And so this is measuring against the current circumstance and what we need to do currently to effectively share Jesus. And in that, use our inside voice. And if I tried to distill everything I've said down to this point, I would say this when it comes to people that I interact with, and I try to interact with a lot of people, it's it's not so much that they say, I haven't heard about Jesus. What they're saying is, I haven't seen. I haven't seen what he looks like in the real world. I haven't seen that message of the Sermon on the Mount active and alive in the people that claim his name. And I'm not saying that in, it's true of every person, but I can tell you myself personally, I still fail at this. Like I go, I want to be like Jesus, and I don't do a great job because I get more consumed with my own life, my own problems, my own stuff, my own wants, my own drives and desires, and, and I just want to surrender that stuff. And be like, Jesus, I want to be what you want me to be about. I want to represent you well. I want to take you more seriously than anything else. I want people to see. But see, we all get this. In fact, I believe we all know it's true. Let's see if you can fill in the blanks. Here's some quotes. Actions speak louder than. We know it. It's not what you say, it's what you how about this one? Jesus said it himself. You will know them by their... That one's a little tricky right now. You're like, oh, fruits, love, love, fruits. Same. You will know them by their fruits. You will know them by their love. In fact, most research even tells us that 70 to 90% of our communication is non-verbal. All right? so, so if a world is going who is Jesus? What does he look like? If he were here in the 21st century, hanging out in Duval, Redmond, uh, Woodinville, Monroe, Carnation, Sultan, wherever you're coming from, like wherever you're at online, Arizona, eastern Washington, Montana, Missoula, all these places, like, like, like where would Jesus inhabit the space, and how would he do that? That's what the world is needing to see from his followers. And it's not that we need to talk Jesus more, but it's that we need to show Jesus more. And I know that's some pressure, but that's good pressure. That's positive pressure. And what that means, a phrase we love to use around here, is it means we need to disrupt the stereotypes with what you do and do not say and do. Right? So, so we want to think through in life, like, what would Jesus do in the circumstance I'm in. What would Jesus not do in this circumstance I'm in? If Jesus was dealing with this problem, what would he say? And just as valuable, if Jesus is dealing with this problem, what he, would he refrain from saying? Because Jesus was a master at sometimes just saying nothing, but then doing something profound. Like I think about it, there's a scene, a woman's brought to him, she's caught in the very act of adultery. It says, they don't bring the guy, they just bring the girl, that's how it worked. And they want to know, Jesus, what are you going to do with this woman? We've caught her, she's a sinner, she should die. And he doesn't say anything, he just draws in the dirt a little bit. And they're all floored. I don't know what he spells or says or draws, I don't know. But there's something about the silence and the moment and an action of grace and security and compassion that changes the entire hostile crowd. And I look at that, I go, man, there's sometimes just things that we should not say anything, and that's to be most like Jesus. And I think more deeply what this means is we have to understand our goal in all of this. Our goal is not to protect Christianity. Our goal, ready, is not to maintain our religious liberty. If those become our goals, we will radically fail Jesus. Because the goal is to share with the world exactly who Jesus is. Respond just as Jesus would respond, to act and react as we would think he would do that if he was here today. And so we need to put together a roadmap to do that because I think it actually takes a roadmap. It's more than just, hey, I'm gonna give you an evangelism strategy, I'm gonna tell you three critical questions to ask people and from that you can share your faith. That's not what I'm doing today. I want to go for something a little bit richer and more authentic and has more legs. Because I don't want us to do this through guilt or shame or self determination. I want us to do it because we are authentically connecting with Christ. And because we've authentically connected, we can't help but then be representatives and ambassadors of Him. So if you're taking notes in our app this morning, here's the first point in our notes that's so important. You need to believe him. Don't just believe in him. You need to believe him. Don't just believe in him. Now, I want to be clear because, again, I'm a big fan of the Bible. The Bible talks about believe in, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll be saved. So believe in and believe unto is in the Bible. But I'm getting at something more important because I think what is true in our society is this idea of believe in... It's said so much in so many different places. It's like watered down more than my Tais at an all-you-can-eat luau, you know? It's just, it has, it has no meaning after a while, right? Think about it. I believe in UFOs, I believe in ghosts, I believe in Sasquatch. People say I believe in all sorts of things. You know, I believe in green energy or I believe in fossil fuels or whatever it is. Like there's all kinds of believe-ins that people claim and oftentimes when we say we believe in something, what's true is it's easy to say that there's there's not a lot of sweat equity in belief in a thing you just make a claim make a statement fly whatever your flag is of the belief in the thing and that's good enough and people go oh that's cool you believe in that thing but the real test the real test of belief is not belief in but it's actual believe I believe it, so I do it. I believe it, so I follow it. I believe it, so I suffer for it. I believe it, and so I'm all in on it no matter what. Like, that's the essence of belief. So so when I talk about this idea of believe, Jesus, not simply believe in, it's actually saying he said it, he called us to it, he dares us to try it, and I believe what he says is true, I believe the promises that he makes is secure, I believe he will reward me for doing it, I believe I will be closer to him for it, and so I'm putting my weight behind it, I'm putting my life and my character and my words and my actions and my prayers and my passions behind it because I believe it. See, that's, to me, the real challenge. And there's a great example of this to me. It's this small church that was the first non-Jewish church to suffer real opposition in their culture. So if you read through your New Testament, for example, and you get to Paul's different letters that he writes, he writes two letters to this little church in a community called Thessalonica. And if you go back and you read the account of church planting throughout the New Testament, it's called the book of Acts, you see where Paul comes to Thessalonica, and there's this radical conversion of people. They've not heard about Jesus till now. They don't come from a Jewish background, and so their familiarity with those things is a little looser than maybe other communities that would hear. But they hear this message, and they are just transformed. They're like, we want this Jesus. We believe him. We don't just simply believe in him. We believe him. And instantly, when you read the story in the book of Acts, they are hammered in their society for it. And the way their society goes after them is they go after their ability to make money. So they basically extract their ability to make money in the marketplace, close down their businesses, shut down their ability for prosperity, can't feed their kids or whatever else. So it's harsh and it's painful. But you know, in the context of that, they didn't complain, they didn't protest, they weren't mad, they didn't pitch a fit, they didn't make a big scene, they didn't gripe fear, they didn't revolt. No, there's something that happens in their life that is profound. And so this early Christian leader, Paul, writes this letter to them, and he's praising them and reminding them and encouraging them. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, he says, We pleaded with you, encouraged you, and urged you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy. For he called you to share in his kingdom— and his glory now i'm gonna stop there for a minute because i think we tend to read something like that and we go oh so one day they get the kingdom and they get the glory but what paul's saying is no one day you get the glory but right now he's called you to share in his kingdom and if you go and you read through the gospels matthew mark luke and john jesus pushes this idea of the kingdom 150 times he says it's about the kingdom it's about the kingdom it's about the kingdom And and then when you unpack that more What you realize is He's saying all who want to follow me Become citizens of this kingdom And if you're a citizen of my kingdom Then you live out the values of my kingdom And the values of my kingdom Are things like When you have a broken relationship You go out of your way to reconcile it first It means that You have control of your passions In such a way that You show human dignity to others His kingdom's about if you say you're going to do something, you do it. His kingdom's about if somebody mistreats you, you turn the other cheek. If somebody demands you do something, you go the extra mile in doing that thing. If they sue you, you don't countersue. You simply say, God, I'm going to give it up for your glory. If they hate you, you love them. If they're against you, you pray for them. If they're your enemy, they become your heart friend that you care about, even though they hate you. And he goes on and on and on. He says, this is the stuff of the kingdom. It's upside down. It's backwards. It makes no sense. It's full to the world but that's the kingdom that you get to share in those are the things that make his, his rule and reign tick that's how he fixes the world if you believe him if you really think what he says is what brings healing so what happens with these Thessalonians did they get this and understand it yeah they did In fact, in chapter 1, as soon as they heard the gospel, they went, yes, we're in on this. We're willing to go through it. But in chapter 2, he says, Therefore, we never stop thanking God for when you received his message from us. You didn't think of our words merely as human ideas. You accepted them as what they are, what they say, what they mean. They're the very, very word of God. He says, which, of course, it is. You accepted it as that. And this word continues to work in you who believe. The word was working in them. So they weren't just getting together and saying, hey, let's have a Bible study about the word. Let's have some really cool devotionals about the word. Let's have a potluck and then after talk about the word. No, the the word was at work in them. The word was transforming them. They actually were taking this cockamamie, dumb backward stuff that Jesus talked about and said, we're going to do this. Against all sensibility and against the human odds that this should succeed, we're, we're actually going to, to live this out. See, that's what it means to believe. Believe means we do it. And in this, Jesus says, this is our kingdom responsibility. It's our kingdom directive It's the one thing that will change everything. Even though it's silly, it's foolish, it's weak in the minds of the world. But that's what it means to kind of share Jesus. It means to actually, again, uh, incarnate him because he came incarnate for us. Incarnate means in meat. That's what it means. So God came in meat, in flesh, became one of us to teach us how to do it like him now here's what i can tell you we're not going to get there on sheer willpower i'm not like my fear is everybody will walk out of here today and say all right now i got to white knuckle it for jesus i gotta really work hard to be kingdom oriented i don't think jesus wants that and i know he knows we can't do that for very long we can have a glimpse of that but we're not going to be able to hold that up for very long we have to lean into something else And the something else is in the something else. It's a someone else, and the someone else is him. He wires a system that is so impossible for human beings, we must be knit to him all the time. In fact, I think this is why Christianity so easily can go off the rails into religion and ethics, because those things you can muster with human might. But this kingdom stuff, you have to be genuinely spirit-filled. Like You have to seek the power of God every day to do this thing, because it's so much about selflessness, for his sake that's a different thing right and and so this is why the series is called crazy stuff the christian should do right what's crazy about this is you got to rely on him what that means is that number two in your notes you need to know him don't just know about him right to know somebody is different than knowing about there's plenty of you i know about but i don't really know I don't know your story, I don't know your, 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 your kind of deep focus in life, I don't know fully your personality, and, and even you don't know mine. You might see me on Sundays, or you might listen to the podcast, or whatever it is, but, but we haven't had enough proximity to really know each other. That's different than just knowing about, or knowing of somebody in some capacity. And I think about this with Paul again, a good friend Paul. See, he was a guy that had the right pedigree, he had the right power, he had the right prestige, before he knew Jesus. He was a guy that, again, was very moral. He was very religious. He was a Bible believer, went to church every single Saturday because he was Jewish and it was synagogue and that's what you do. And, And so he was faithful to all of that. But then he met Jesus. And everything changed. And what most deeply changed in him is he's like, I'm not interested just in religion anymore. I'm not interested in pure ethics anymore. I want something more. I'm hungry for something deeper. I've come to be introduced to Jesus, and now I want to plumb the depths of that relationship. So in the book of Philippians, he says, All of the stuff that I once had, all these things I once knew, everything that I once did, right? He says, I thought these things were so valuable. But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord. And then he gets more emphatic. I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. Now, I'll tell you why that should freak us out, and we should want to cut Philippians out of our Bibles. Notice what he does. He's like, "I, I, I came to know Jesus. And by the way, when he's writing this, this is years later. I came to know Jesus, and after all these years, he says, I want to know him more. Like, the dude is just fixated. He has OCD for Jesus, right? Like, I can't get enough. But here's the freaky part. Here's what he knows the path to that deeper knowledge is, I want to suffer with him. See, what Paul owns about the kingdom and embodying Jesus is that it's so different than the world. If you're really gonna know him, then you have to really follow him. And if you're really gonna follow him, then you have to do it like him. And if you're really gonna have to do it like him, then what that looks like then is suddenly all of the tools we use to defend, protect, secure ourselves in this world, they all go away. And you use a completely different framework. Unlike the world, where, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, the world looks and says, you're a fool. You're, you're stupid. That's dumb. And I don't just mean like they're going, oh, you believe a dude rose from the dead? That's dumb. What I'm saying is the very things that we use for safety, security, and prosperity are the things that Jesus says, man, that's not the way my kingdom's built. So in that sense, it looks Foolish. But Paul's like, man, I don't care. I just want to know him. Even though I know that to know him means I need to be comfortable with suffering with him. By worldly standard, I think by kingdom standard, it's totally different. It's reward. It's not, it's not suffering, really, not in the end. Even when we suffer, Jesus says, leap for joy. That's Luke 6. But too often I think we settle for the safety of just knowing about. Doing a Bible study about Jesus, studying a gospel about Jesus, gathering our little information bits about Jesus, right? Parsing out all of the verses, memorizing the thing about Jesus. But I think knowing Him just takes this daily, repetitive, uh, kind of just driven desire to see Jesus. Just I want, I want more. I want more. I'm I'm going to do the things that expose me to more of You. I'm going to do the things that actually risk. Because in the risk, I think that's where Jesus really shows up. In the faith, I think that's where Jesus shows up. In the, in the determination that says, I'm relentless for more of you, I think that's where he shows up. See, that's the thing. Even as a church, we talk about life is better with Jesus. And, and in that, I, I think where you most sense that and feel that is when you do those hard things, when you decide to take on his priorities, maybe more than your own. I know for me, it's easy for me to take on my own priorities. And my own strength is driving my faith. And then I can't figure out why I either A, feel empty, or B, I, I just sound more like the world. I'm frustrated like the world. I'm afraid like the world. I'm confused like the world. I'm impatient like the world. Like, uh, you know, it's not the fruit of the Spirit love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. It's some other kind of bizarre fruit that doesn't look like that always. And it just comes back to we have to be willing to do the stuff where Jesus shows up and that takes some level of risk of letting go and focusing on him. So again, like I said, we're not going to white-knuckle this, right? It's just doing the tough kingdom stuff. Jesus said this in John chapter 8. He says, if I want glory for myself, it doesn't count. This is great. This is Jesus saying it. It's like, if I want glory for myself, I try to get the glory for myself, I try to secure my life in this world, it doesn't count. He says, but it is my Father who will glorify me. He says, from this, He is our God. He says, but you, you don't even know Him. He's talking to the Pharisees now, who go to church, read their Bibles, believe this stuff, and he says, you don't really know God. You're religious, but you don't, you don't know God. He says, if I said otherwise, I would be as great a liar as you he says but i i know him and i obey him see the proof that we really know is that we obey and i want to be clear again this idea of obedience isn't just the the ethics of good conservative christian morals everybody can do that anybody can do that really This idea of obey is way more rooted again in the stuff of the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Plain, the Kingdom, the Fruit of the Spirit, the definition of love in 1 Corinthians 13. Like That's the tough stuff to obey. That's the kind of stuff that Jesus obeyed. Jesus wasn't just a nice guy who did good things. No, he he leaned into what it meant to really obey his Father. So he comes as a servant. He comes literally as a slave to his very creation, it says in Philippians. He becomes a slave to his creation. And he lets his creation mistreat him and abuse him and cheer for his destruction. And then in that, he says not a word, except when he prays, Father, forgive them. He gives himself away. And when you look at the cross, it's not just simply the act of rescuing us. It's the act of example, it says in 1 Peter chapter 2. An example that it, it says you and I are to follow. See, when, when you do stuff like Jesus, when you respond like Jesus, when you care like Jesus, when you peacemake like Jesus, when you don't judge like Jesus, when you do those things that he talks about again in the Sermon on the Mount or the Sermon on the Plain, that's real obedience. That's how he displays kingdom values. So what this means for us is next in your notes, we need to show him don't just stand for him. I've been hearing that a lot lately out of Christian leaders. We need to fight back. We need to take a stand. We need to say this tough stuff to a failing society. We need to go to war. I'm like, stop reading Braveheart. Like, honestly. Honestly. Like, I think that's sometimes why we like dudes like David and Moses and Joshua, because they were the brawlers of the Bible. But Jesus rolls in with this whole different thing, right? And and he's like, man, I'm not asking you to take a stand in this sense. I simply want you to show me what you read about me, you see in me, you see modeled and displayed in me. Just go do that thing. Because that's going to get the world's attention, That's what they're waiting to see, what that looks like. His passions, his priorities in play. And here's the thing. I think it means we don't need to use our mouths as much as we need to use our hands and our hearts. We don't need to fight people. We need to love people, especially the people that want to fight us. Because, really, I think what the world is hoping to see is people that act like him more than they feel they need to religiously represent him. Here's a great quote from one of the wisest people I've probably ever come across in my life. Her name's Ellen Boswell. She says, "It's always easier to speak on behalf of Jesus than to live on his behalf." It's always easier to do that. And I think if you started talking to people that are turned off by our faith, hurt by our faith, they're critical of our faith, they're concerned even by our faith, they would say too much Christians are talking or complaining or demanding or warning or fear-mongering or name-calling or partisan posturing or conspiracy pushing or whatever it is. They're like, there's all this stuff. But boy, it'd be awesome to see what Jesus looks like. I think that would be pretty cool, too. I think about Paul in Second Corinthians chapter 5. He says, because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade people. That's a great word. So rich, man. He doesn't say shame, debate, dispute, blame, mock, vilify, belittle. He says persuade. This idea of persuade is to lead people through to a beautiful place at the end. You go back to look at the etymology of persuade, that's what it means. To lead people, to guide people to a place where it is beautiful and sweet and pleasant at the end. You and I are Sherpas for Jesus. Right? We get to guide. We get to take people through the rough patches to show them a beautiful place. they are like, but man... How does that work? How do we do we do that? Well, we see this in his furthering words. He says, we are giving you a reason to be proud of us so that you can answer those who brag about having spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. So there's this thing about when you persuade, there should be a sincere heart, not just bragging about what we accomplish, what we do. He goes further, he says, you want to know what real persuasion looks like? Christ's love controls us. So much so that we no longer live for ourselves, but instead we live for Christ. He goes on to say, we've stopped evaluating others from a human point of view, which is so easy for us to do, right? We're judging the world around us from a human point of view. We need to see every single person as an image bearer of God that Christ loves so much, he sacrificed himself for. Like, that's how we should see people. And then he goes on further. He says, God has given us this wonderful task of reconciling people to himself. He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors, and God is making his appeal through us. This is why, again, I say we need to see ourselves more as peacemakers, more as ambassadors, not as warriors who take a stand, but as lovers who care for souls. See, that's what we get to do. That's that's our calling, and that's to be our persuasive posture to bring that kind of difference to the world, right? And it relies on us. In fact, the last point in your notes, here's why this is important. You're the only him others will see. So wear him well. Wear him well. You're like, really? I'm supposed to wear Jesus? Yeah, you are. The Bible talks about this, right? This idea that the only Jesus they see is his church, his people, is well documented throughout the Bible. And so what that means for us as we're leaving here today is everywhere you go, Everything you do, everyone you come in contact with, what you should be thinking about every moment of every day is am I doing a great service to showing the world what Jesus really looks like in everyday spaces? Am I making sure that that's my priority? At work, at school, in the cul-de-sac, or on the street, at the store, at the gym, wherever you're at. I've got some friends of mine who have uh, left the church and left Christianity and and we were talking recently and and they said, you know, the toughest part because one of them works at Starbucks and they said the worst crowd is the Sunday crowd. They're the most impatient. They're mad that we messed up their order. They're demanding. You know, they're put out over coffee. I'm like, man, how tragic that they're thinking like, this this is a suit and a tie and a dress and everything. You know, like they just know where this is coming from and they go, that's what we get. There, Matt, that's why we don't don't, don't do it anymore. Which I'm not saying is an excuse, but it is a reason. It's something for us to take note of. Because we need to be different. We need to wear him well. The Bible talks about wearing him well in Colossians chapter three. Paul says, Don't lie to one another, seeing that you've put off your old selves with its practices, and if what? Put on the new self, wearing a new self, which is being renewed and the knowledge after the image of its creator. So when I talk about wearing Jesus, I literally talk about wearing Jesus. You're displaying God's image to the world, right? Go, great, what does it mean to wear him? What does it mean to put him on? What does it mean to rightly kind of put on the garb? Well, let's continue in Colossians here. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Here's what we wear in our world at Starbucks, at the Grange, at Red Robin, at school, at wherever, work, if you go there anymore. All right, compassionate, hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. He continues, And above all else, above this put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful." He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you, richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whatever you do, wherever you go, whoever you talk to, right? In every space, whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. It's interesting, Jesus had uh, like this illustration ministry. He was a storyteller. And he loved to tell stories about his good news and his kingdom, right? Th- this value system that changes the world. And oftentimes he would say, the kingdom of God, the gospel of God, this life-changing story is like a seed. And he says, you know, that seed, even though it looks dead and hard and harsh, has all the makings of life inside the seed. And, and, and from that he says We are to, to take the seed And do something with it in the world Or take the spirit and the essence of what is embedded Into the seed This value system of the kingdom That actually can change the world Though it's upside down and backwards Looks nothing like what we would engineer or put together It's that seed that grows into a mighty tree That reveals the heart of God to the world And so we are to take this seed And do something with it Now, now some people Take the seed of the good news the kingdom the gospel Jesus and they hide it right they take the seed and go my precious (laughs) and they do bible studies and small groups and read books about it and it's so cool and they've learned so much and they understand the Greek and it's theirs other people in our culture, suddenly they take it and sadly they huck it. They use it as a weapon. They harm and hurt people with the seed. This message of beauty and life, they condemn people with it. They judge people with it. They assess and measure people. Though even though Paul says, hey man, we don't measure people like we used to. But that's what they do. But there's a different variation and I used to say we don't want to hide it we don't want to huck it but, but rather, we, we want to just simply hand it from our life to another person's life. And I think that's still true. I don't want to take away from the handed. But I think in this, what we need to do is let a seed do what a seed does. We also need to hold it close to ourselves. We need to let this seed split open and bring life in us. We need to let it grow and mature in us. Because what we need to remember is that this seed is meant to change us. We're old, dead soil, too. And this seed is meant to bring life and a sense of purpose to the soil of our lives in such a way that it sprouts, it grows, it produces fruit. And the fruit that it produces is not more earthly stuff, but with a religious flavor. It's kingdom stuff with a clink kingdom flavor. It's kingdom fruit with kingdom sweetness that might seem strange, even sour at times to the world. But we want to be relentless in it. Saying, all right, Jesus, I want to be about your business. I want to do as you do, react as you react, talk as you talk, care as you care, prioritize things as you would prioritize them. That dumb little bracelet, what would Jesus do? Brilliant. It's brilliant, actually. Because that's how we share Jesus. We keep right before us that we're the Jesus they'll see. And if we get them right, they're going to see a right Jesus. And if we get them wrong, how tragic it is. Because we had an opportunity to be a billboard for the one that matters. With our lives, what we do, how we speak, how we think, how we process, how we care and how we pray. Let's let the seed hold close and change us. To show him. let's pray together Jesus of the series I know this one is one of the heavier ones that you put on my heart but I think it's just because I see the bleed out I see the the desperate need of our culture and it's running to many other saviors and I'm seeing more and more the saviors that they're running to they're running to because those saviors do look, sound, and feel a bit more like you than they used to, and from that all the more, we have to, we have to really lean into you and say, Jesus, show yourself through us. May we be like you. So help us to be like that. Help us to be like you, Jesus. Not in our own strength or might, but through your strength and through your power. We love you. We seek you in your name. Amen.